Let's pray together. God, we're thankful today for the opportunity to open your word. God, we pray that through your spirit, you would be at work in us as we allow this word to speak into our lives, to challenge us and to make us rethink how we understand what the world has to offer. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, most of us like to to, uh, be surrounded by really nice things. Now, at first we might say, no, that's not me. I'm content with just whatever I have until we get to that right thing, right? I mean, there's something that sparks each one of us. For you, maybe it's cars. Most of you know that I drive a Nissan Cube, so it's obvious that nice things speak to me in terms of cars, right? It's a beautiful vehicle. In fact, we were walking through a parking lot one time and behind another family, and the guy looked over at our car and said, that's the ugliest car I've ever seen. (laughs) But you know, really, I do, I do like nice cars. It would be really nice, right, to be able to buy a new car every couple years, have something sporty, something that you enjoy driving, right? Lots of us would like that. For you, maybe it's your house. I mean, you've worked hard to have a nice house, you know, saved money, spent money, fixed it up, and you're really happy with the house that you have. Or the stuff in your house, or your yard. Or maybe you like to be surrounded with, you know, nice clothes or jewelry. We've all got something that makes us feel good about ourselves just because we have it, just because it's around. Now, the question is, as we think that through, How does that affect how we understand ourselves? How does that affect how we understand God? You know, we could even look at it this way. We really like to be surrounded by people who have stuff too because, you know, if they're sort of in the same range we are, man, we don't want to be surrounded by the super wealthy. That's sort of intimidating. But, but man, we're a little uncomfortable with people who have very little. We're uncomfortable with people who might ask us for something. And so we want everyone to just sort of be able to take care of their needs. And that makes us comfortable. But again, what does that say about who we are? Our understanding of stuff, our understanding of money, says something important about our character. And that's why this topic keeps showing up in Scripture. And certainly, when we look in the book of James, and that's what we're studying right now, we see James talking about this. Now, this book of James in the series we're calling Talk is Cheap is all about action, right? Talk is cheap. We can talk a lot. James wants us to think about how we put our faith into action, how it affects the everyday parts of life. And so he comes back to money more than once, and money becomes an important topic. Now, as we talked about last week as we introduced this series, James sort of contrasts how does the world understand how life should work versus how God tells us how life should work. And so we're working through this, and I'm encouraging you to read through the book of James. We've got the study booklets that many of you have gotten. We're out of those. I've got some more ordered, so they should be in maybe by next Sunday. So if you didn't get one, hopefully we'll have them for next Sunday. And you can just continue to read through and allow this book of James to speak into life. But as we think especially about what James has to say about money, it shows up more than once, and I want us to look at three things that James tells us about money in three important passages in this book. The first comes in chapter 1, just after sort of the introduction to James. James is talking about wisdom and how God provides wisdom for us, and it seems to me that he's saying we need to have wisdom when we understand our money. And so he says this, James chapter 1, verse 9, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his excellence. And maybe at first you say, that doesn't really sound like it has anything to do with money. 
But the truth is that word lowly, it can have a really broad meaning, so it's anyone that the culture ignores, people that no one cares about. But when it's in contrast with wealth, which we see in verse 10, we'll get there in a minute, it usually means the poor. And James is speaking from a specific tradition. He's writing in this Jewish tradition that said, you know what, the poor have it pretty tough in this life. But God's going to reward, reward them. God's going to take care of those who suffer in this life because they have little, and He's going to give them plenty in the next life, in eternal life. We show this, see this tradition show up throughout Scripture, and in fact, we see it all the way back at the beginning of the story of Jesus. Mary, His mother, has just been told, hey, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. She begins to sing, and this is her song. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on, and here's the words, the humble estate of His servant. As you see that, the words that she's using there, and that's the same root words that we see in James when we hear them translated lowly. Her humble estate. And, and it's that sense that God uses even the poor. He cares for even those who have very few resources and He will reward them. He continues in James chapter 1, verse 10. And the rich, so let the poor be exalted in, the, in their, uh, boast in their exaltation, the rich in His humiliation. And we don't really want to hear that. Because we come from what is really the world's wealthiest culture, not just now, but in history. We are among the wealthiest people who have ever lived. And James says that we will be humiliated. In fact, we won't have that wealth. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What's James' point? It's this. Wealth is always temporary. Now, we don't want to think about it that way. And in fact, as we look at the world, we might say, James, I'm not sure it works that way. It seems like the wealthy are the ones with the staying power. The wealthy have the resources. The wealthy last. But James says, no, if you look at the grand scheme of things, here's the way it works. Wealth is always temporary. It always disappears. Families that might have wealth, individuals that might have wealth, it, it goes away. There might be people who are born into wealth and die in wealth, but if you look at the span of things in their family, in their nation, in their culture, eventually it goes away. Wealth does not last forever, and for every single one of us, it's still true that we don't take it with us, right? It will only last for this lifetime. And James is always looking beyond that to something more. In fact, he says we'll die in our pursuits. We could spend our lives pursuing wealth till the very last day, and when it's over, it's still over. And so the point is, don't put your trust in wealth. Because it's not going to last forever. And in fact, we might see it as, man, God has cursed the poor and rewarded the wealthy. Maybe it's not that way. God will eventually exalt the poor. And the wealth of the rich will disappear. So that's sort of the overarching teaching. And then James takes that and applies it in some different ways. We go down to chapter 2, and James says this. He's speaking now to the church as a group, not just as individuals living the Christian life. He says this, my brothers, show no 
partiality. There's the key word. Show no partiality as you hold faith, hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Don't show partiality. Now, we could think of how partiality could be shown in lots of different ways. Might be shown in terms of race, might be shown in terms of language, might be shown in terms of gender, and it is certainly shown in the ancient world and in our day in terms of wealth. And James says, as a church, don't let partiality, don't favor one person over another, especially in terms of wealth. And then he gives an example. He says, suppose somebody comes into your assembly, comes to church, and they come in, and man, they have a gold ring on every finger. And that was certainly a sign of wealth in the ancient world, and is today as well. But in the ancient world, in a time when you didn't trust bankers, you might want to carry your wealth. And one way to carry it would be in precious metals. And if it's on your fingers, you know where it is. And everyone else did too. It was clear. And James says, you know what? It's really easy when somebody like that comes into your assembly to show some partiality. And it's true today. Somebody shows up in a nice car and we see them walk in the building. Their clothes are obviously new and nice. Maybe they have the latest cell phone, a nice watch on their wrist. And they're wealthy. And it's easy to, well, it's easy to show partiality. It's easy to welcome them in. It's easy to include them and make sure they know where everything is and usher them to the nicest seats in the back, right? Those are the nicest seats. And make sure they're comfortable. We think, wow, what they could do for our church, right? What they could contribute, maybe in terms of money, but they probably got some ability that's led to the money and, and they, could, they could add a lot to what's going on here. And then someone else comes in and they clearly don't have those resources. They clearly have not been able to achieve in the same way. You can tell by the clothes or the, the car they drive. And maybe it's easy for us to ignore them. And they don't get the attention, the welcome, the tour, the nicest seat. We just hope they find a place. James says, don't show that kind of partiality in the church because every person who walks in has exactly the same need. Forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. In fact, James says, if you do that, have you not then, in verse 4, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? And he takes it a step further and become judges with evil thoughts. Have you not decided who's in and who's out? Have you not decided who's worthy and who's unworthy? Have you not decided who's worked hard and who's been lazy? James says, don't look at somebody with their wealth and decide who is of value and who is not. Who is worthy and who is unworthy. That's not the way the church should operate. That's not the way Christians should operate. And then we come over to chapter 5. And then James is speaking, not just to the church, but he's speaking to the wealthy. And he says, watch out. If you've got money, you need to look sort of inside, see where you are, see what kind of person you are. Verse 4, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. 
and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. In other words, James is saying, listen, watch yourself. How did you become rich? Was it off the backs of other people? Maybe you've, <clears throat> maybe you've been just a little dishonest. Maybe you've used relationships and used people just a little. And because of that, it's made you wealthy. It's given you position and power. James says, watch that. So if we take all this, James speaking to us as individuals, James speaking to the church, James speaking to the wealthy, what's the lesson that we learn? It's pretty simple. This is it. Be wary of wealth. Be wary of wealth. You see, one of the truths that we hold <clears throat> as self-evident is this. More is always better, right? Just a little more money is always going to be better than what we have today. That just seems like it's obviously true. We never have enough. We can never say, you know what? My bank account is just where I want it. I don't think I'm going to add any more. I've got just enough stuff. My house is just big enough. My car is just new enough. I don't need anything else. We could always use a little more. And James is saying, check yourself right there. Be wary of wealth. It can be very dangerous. The pursuit of wealth can take us away from what really matters spiritually, what really matters in our family, what is important in life. Now, he's not saying wealth is inherently evil. James is not saying you shouldn't work to provide for yourself and your family. None of that's true. He's just saying watch out because wealth is attractive, it is powerful, and it has the power even to destroy you. So be wary. Be careful. Put a warning sign on it because it's so powerful. Be wary of wealth. Now that has different implications. I mean, it speaks to us as individuals. We have to be careful. We have to think through, okay, what am I doing to pursue my wealth? Is all of it honest? Is all of it fair? Is all of it equitable to the people around me? Is all of this good for my family? All those are questions that we need to be asking ourselves because they tell us something about our attitude toward wealth. All of that says how we think about wealth, and James is very concerned about how we think about wealth because in the end, who are we going to trust? Are we going to trust God? Are we going to... Are we going to believe that God has provided what we need in this life, or... Are we going to trust in wealth and say just a little more is always better? And whatever I have to do to get that little bit more is always worth it. That's why James says, be wary of wealth. And then there are implications for us as a church. Again, it's easy as a church to say, man, just a little bit more would always be better, right? And if we could find some people who have a little bit more, they might give a little bit more. But if we go too far down that path, 
we end up in a spot where certain people have more value over others because of the resources they have and because of the amount of money they give. And we remember the story when Jesus honors the woman who gave man, almost nothing, two pennies, over the people who gave more. You see, that's it's partiality when that big gift impresses us. And James is telling us as a church, be careful. Be really careful. Because the lure of money is so powerful. So as individuals and as a community of faith, we need to be wary of wealth. What James is asking us to do in the end is to look inside. Because that's where this all starts. Again, it's not that money is somehow evil. We have to have money to survive. We have to have money to to do business in this world, to buy houses and cars. We have to have money. The question is, what are we willing to do to pursue it? What are we doing to pursue it? How much do we love it? And how much more important is it than other things in our lives? And where's our trust? And you know, so... For each one of us today, what that means is we've got to look inside because we're not all in the same place. We don't all have the same resources available to us. We don't all have the same attitude about how we provide for our families or how we give money away. But all of those things say something about who we are and what our relationship with God is like. So ask the questions. And be wary of wealth, as attractive and as powerful as it is. Know that it can also be dangerous. It all depends on our attitude. Let's pray together. We're thankful that you provide for us. We're thankful that we have places to live and food to eat. Clothes to wear, cars to drive. But God, we also pray that you'll help us to to be careful. To understand the power and the lure of more. And to know that our trust has always got to be in you before it's in anything else. And God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.